excited to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. I don't, know, uh, I don't know if it was that time of worship or maybe the coffee I drank first service just hit, but I am like excited. I'm jittery. I'm ready to go. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for everything that you do in our lives, Lord God. Thank you for everything that you do in our lives on a daily basis, Lord, even the things that go unseen, Lord. I pray, God, that we would never let a day go by in our lives where, where we don't give you thanks, where we don't worship you, where we don't spend time with you and your word. And so I pray, God, have your way today. Speak through me, Lord God, and may your word fall on good soil. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, I hope everybody this week has had a great week. I have had a great week despite obvious uh, things that have happened to me this week. Uh, I wish that I could say that my injury happened like at teen camp because, you know, it's like, oh man, teen camp, we were having so much fun. Or maybe uh, I, I wish I could have said that it happened a lot cooler, like, you know, when I was uh, at jujitsu or whatever it be, but it didn't. Uh, it happened at church softball, and uh, it's not as cool. It's not as cool of a story. Um, so I can't, I can't sit up here and lie to you saying, oh man, this just crazy thing happened. And no, uh, I was playing second base. Uh, it was like the fifth inning, Chris Salvage was playing shortstop, and, and the guy who was up to bat, he was a lefty, and he called it out. The last time that that guy hit, he hit a grounder to which I got and threw him out at first. And so Chris Salvage called it out beautifully. He said, hey, that's the guy who hit the grounder. So I got myself ready, like right about, you know, the position where he hit it last, and he called it out beautifully. A hard hit grounder. It was one of those that you just heard the coming at like I was as it as it was coming at me and it's one of those sounds that it's like man I need to play this right or this is really gonna hurt it hurt <laughs> uh, I, I got ready I got down you know glove you know hand ready to grab the ball and just chuck it to first and uh, when it hit the front of my glove uh, it bounced up and my hand that was ready to grab the ball and throw it took the direct impact of this hard hit ball fracturing the tip of my finger like gross things happening to my nail and just blood, you know, everywhere. And uh, I still tried to make a play on the ball because like, you know, the shock of the impact, you don't really like it hurt a lot, but you don't fully realize what happened until I, I went down and like my hand flexed, but this finger didn't. And I was like, uh oh, uh, and I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. So uh, that's why uh, my hand is like this this morning. Uh, if anything, it's helped me gr uh, be a great pointer today. So if you see me pointing, it might be because I'm trying to do this and I can't. So, you know, I, I, if I point at you and I'm realizing that I'm pointing directly at you, I might say, hey, good morning, Dan. Hope you're having a good morning, you know, or, or something like that or whatever it be. I, I'm very good at counting to three uh, with this finger uh, this week. I'm very good at peace signs as well. And uh, any Spider-Man fans, I'm very good at that as well. Um, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. That's just fun. So church, I want to start out today by uh, saying that some of the issues in, in the social environment of our world today that we're seeing are not new in any way, shape, or form. The thing that's changed in our world that we live in today is simply how connected our world is. Can we agree on that? Our world is so connected and it's one of those things that's become so integrated within our lives, so integrated within society. Like my, my kids will never know a time of dial-up internet. How many of you remember dial-up internet? Like, it, it was a time for anybody who's like, what in the world is dial-up internet? It was a time that, 
in order for you to connect to the internet, your computer had to literally dial into an internet connection to which you cannot use a landline. I bet you there's some people in this room who don't know what a landline is. Uh, you cannot be on a landline and the internet at the same time. And if somebody made a phone call when you were on the computer, it would just shut you down. And it was like the most frustrating thing for me as a gamer, you know, uh, I would be playing epic games like pinball and solitaire or whatever it be, or, you know, back, back, in, the, back in those days, you know, there was just very simplistic games and some required the internet use that all of a sudden it would freeze and wherever you were in the house, you'd just shout, who's on the phone? Get off the phone! And you know, all, all crazy stuff like that. And so um, our world is so technologically advanced and so connected. And I feel like sometimes we don't even fully realize how connected or advanced our world is. Someone from Syracuse, New York, could be messaging someone who lives, see, I'm very good at pointing today. <laughs> uh, someone, uh, someone from Syracuse, New York, could be messaging someone who lives on the literal polar opposite end of the planet in Beijing, China, or Sydney, Australia, and only have to wait the amount of time it takes a person to read and type to receive a reply. Someone from Syracuse can receive news on what's going on in any European, Asian, or African country, any country in the world, at the press of a button or the download of an application. That is how connected our world is. Our access to information and views and uh, voices and opinions, uh, the vo uh, voices and opinions of literally anyone have essentially become limitless. Bear with me. Uh, so they've become limitless in terms of what is shared in this te technological world that we live in. One of the hot topics of, uh, I'm gonna stop doing that. Uh, one, one of the hot topics of uh, the world that we live in today is identity. Identity is such a hot topic in the social scene, but it's never not been a hot topic in the social scene. People have been trying to figure out who they are generation after generation. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to even boldly say that every person in this room has gone through a season of your life where you need to discover who you are. As you grow up, it's a discovery of who you are without your parents being over you. You know, it, it's a part of the growing up process, a part of uh, becoming an adult. And so the, the question of who am I is by no means a new question, but it's been asked way before I ever took my first breath on this earth, and it'll continue to be asked way after I take my last if Jesus doesn't come back before then. And it is, it is my belief that the question, who am I, is a right question to ask. When it comes to growth, uh, we need to be asking questions. And, and I, I thoroughly believe, I fully believe that when it comes to the area of growth, there's no, there's no silly question. There's no dumb question. A question is a question. And if it's a simple question, you know, you might find a simple answer. If it's a deeper question, it's going to require some digging and some conversation and uh, just intentional dialogue and discussion and research so that you may seek the answer for said question. But again, when it comes to growth, there's no dumb question question. Uh, and the question of who am I is an important question to ask, but here's the but in its proper order. Amen. In its proper order. See, before we ask who in the question, who am I? And the question, who are we? The question of whose must be asked and taken into consideration first. Amen? 
Before I know who I am as a believer, it's important for me to know whose I am. Because it's in the whose I am that the who of who I am can be fully discovered. And so there's a proper order of things. Uh, I, I, I have two kids, Judah and Juliet. You'll see Judah probably running around after the service with uh, either myself or Rachel chasing them, trying and failing miserably. And so we just kind of give them the, the general rules. That door, that door, and those two back doors are off limits. Just run around the sanctuary and we'll find you when we find you. Um, and so uh, kids, kids are super fun. And Judah just turned four on the 16th. Uh, four is a really fun age uh, and challenging age. Uh, and so... Um, Kids, kids around that toddler age start to uh, really become a little independent unless they're like my kids and even Juliet is only one and a half and she doesn't want us to feed her. She do, sometimes she doesn't want to be held. She just wants to do her own thing. But around, around three or four, kids really start uh, to develop, or rather their personalities start to show a little more. Senses of humor, uh, things they like, things they don't like, desires uh, and stuff like that. Uh, even attitudes, man, whew, that no word. My gosh. Or, or just, you know, the, the, the asking like, hey, I need you to go pick that up. And the blatant like just disregard and just like doing their own thing. I, it's like, man, my, I didn't know I was, in, I, I was an impatient man to that level until I had kids. And I was ignored by my kids. And I was like, Lord, clearly there's this thing within me that you need to tame. And I need to surrender. So, God, I'm giving it all to you, Jesus. Um, and so one of, the, one of the funny things I love to do uh, when it comes to my son and his interaction with his friends is just listen. Listen to their conversations. Sometimes kids say the funniest, funniest things, and kids will call you out sometimes. So be careful what you say around kids because your sins will find you out. That's biblical. Um, but no, uh, kids, kids have hilarious conversations. And one of the hilarious conversations that you hear them start to have at a young age is uh, they like to compare, Right. It's this game where they go back and forth like, you know, uh, my dad has this. Well, my dad has this. My mom has this. Well, my mom has this. Well, this, that, and so on and so forth. And so a, a conversation like this might look like my mom is like a superhero, you know, all proud and, and, you know, excited about that statement. And then the other one claps back with specifics now and says, well, my mom is literally Wonder Woman. Take that. Or, or my dad just got a new tent and next week we're going camping, you know, showboating a little bit. Oh yeah, well, my dad just got a new flashlight that's 10,000 lumens, which is awesome. And I just saw one for the first time at teen camp because I guess Mark, Mark Freeman got a, a Father's Day gift that was a flashlight that was 10,000 lumens. Now, does Pablo Vargas need a flashlight that is 10,000 lumens? Absolutely not. Does Pablo Vargas want a flashlight that is 10,000 lumens because it's awesome? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, and so uh, conversations could go for, uh, back and forth again. My dad has a Ford F-150. Well, my dad has a Ford F-350. And just they're constantly trying to one-up each other. And it's just hilarious. I've heard Judah do that a few times. A little over a year and a half ago, I started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I just earned my blue belt uh, a few weeks ago after a year and a half of learning, getting beat up a lot, and continuing to learn. But... I'm sure that we can all agree on a general rule of thumb that if you keep practicing, you're going to get better. You're going to learn something unless you're just choosing to be ignorant and then you won't. Um, but I trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I did Judo in college, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. Absolutely love it. But, I mean, another added benefit to training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu 
is that one day I'm going to give my kids a one-up. I'm going to give them a one-up in about eight or nine years when they can just look at that other kid and say, well, you know what? My dad has his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What's up? Uh, and so uh, bear with me on that. That's, that's a work in progress. It's going to take a long time. Um, I'm behind right now, obviously, uh, but it's okay. Life happens. It goes on. Um, the thing that I want us to catch when it comes to these back-and-forth interactions between kids is that in these back-and-forths, kids are proudly bragging and showing their confidence in whose they are. Kids are proudly bragging and showing their confidence in whose they are. It can be a confidence saying, essentially, I know I'm safe because of whose I am. I know I'm provided for because of whose I am. I know everything will be okay because of whose I am. I know that today I'm going to have fun because of whose I am. Or I know that I'm blessed because of whose I am. How many of you can say that today you are blessed because of whose we are? Amen. Amen. And so today's message, if you haven't caught on yet, is entitled Whose? We're, uh, we're going to be going through a two-part series on identity where we're going to address the first question today of whose. Whose are we and why is it so important for us to know that before the who are we is asked? The question that you need to ask yourself right now is whose are you? Whose are you? And I'm, I'm going to boldly say, church, today, and, and this is a question that I ask myself constantly, and it needs to be asked by anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. It needs to be asked by anybody who would consider themselves a disciple of Jesus or a believer. If the answer to whose am I is Jesus to you, the very next question that needs to be asked is, is there fruit of this answer? Is the fruit that Jesus uh, or God is the one in whom you belong and the, the one in whom is your Lord, is, is the one in whom is your master, if that is the answer to whose am I, then the next question is, show me the fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Who am I, again, is a question that all believers need to ask themselves, but not before the whose is asked and discovered first. Identity as believers must not be built solely on who you are in, in God, but whose you are. Because it's whose you are that you're able to say and, and declare and discover who you are. And there's an, old, uh, there, there's an account in the Old Testament that reveals the heart of God, and I absolutely love this account. I was, I was really moved a few weeks back during uh, the, the fine arts season uh, by a, a specific group of, uh, of kids who did a human video that tells the story of Hosea that was written by Mel Freeman and a few students a, a while back. Uh, and it drew from within me this emotion to the truth of the story and what it still means to us today for believers. In fact, when it comes to today's message, uh, up to a few weeks ago, I was planning something totally different. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a two-part series on the life of Paul. Even Josh, who's our drummer, was like, I thought you were preaching about Paul. And I was like, God literally redirected me because I could not shake the imagery of that human video weeks after the fine arts season was over. And so God, God redirected me. How many of us know that sometimes God redirects us and it's okay? Amen? I'm so thankful for the redirections of God. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at Hosea. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Hosea chapter 1 where we're going to begin. 
And I, I'm going to jump around. I love telling uh, bi- biblical accounts in story form. I love telling the stories because the stories are so awesome. And so we're going to read a few passages. I'm going to share the story. Uh, but we're going to get into the meaning of the story. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. So Hosea chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Here we go. I'm reading out of the CSB, so it might be a little different from what's on the screen. But it says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Isn't the word of God so encouraging? Imagine, imagine this, this scenario right here. Hosea is in a time of seeking the Lord, and this is what God tells him. I'm almost willing to bet that every person in this room, myself included, would hesitate. Like, God, was that you? Did you just really tell me to do what you just told me to do? Uh, And just question that uh, right away. Uh, The thing that we need to understand about Hosea, just a quick explanation uh, of, of who a prophet was. A prophet was an individual in which in Old Testament times... Uh, was pretty much the bridge between God and his creation, God and his people. And so oftentimes, God would uh, speak to a prophet, uh, and the prophet would relay the message to uh, whoever it was that the message was for. Um, Sometimes the message was a message of encouragement, a message of hope, a message to hold on and to continue to seek the Lord. But more often, it was a message of an impending judgment because the people of God were straying, because the people of God were choosing to do their own thing. And so when it comes to this, this right here, uh, literally it says, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. And uh, another thing why God would tell Hosea to do this is also uh, oftentimes or or sometimes in, in the Old Testament, God would use the life of a prophet to illustrate his relationship with his people. And this is what was happening in Hosea right here. God was telling him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity. Have children of promiscuity, for the land is uh, committing acts of blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning me. So society in the time of Hosea had been blatantly walking away from God, openly and blatantly sinning and living for their own desires. Again, social issues of today are not new issues. This is the Old Testament we're talking about centuries ago, millennia ago. And so Hosea goes and he marries a woman by the name of Gomer uh, who had three children. They had three children together, the first of which they named Jezreel. The significance of his name was not what was important, which means God sows, but the association in his name what was what was important. uh, The the Jezreel Valley was a place that was not good for the people of Israel historically. And a lot of bad happened when it came to wars uh, and and defeats. And so that was their first child's name, Jezreel, with its its bad association. Uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the vow of Israel in the Jezreel Valley. Kind of intimidating, that word of God right there, that that warning that he was giving those people. They had a second child, a daughter, named Lo-Ruhama. Lo-Ruhama sounds like a really pretty name, but its meaning is, is not loved. 
Her name meant that God's love would be cut off for a short time from Israel. And lastly, they had a third child, a son, Lo-Ami. His name meant not my people. I don't know about you, but that's, that seems harsh. That's, that's kind of scary when it comes to judgments or proclamations of God. And the thing we need to understand about society in the Old Testament is that society was, uh, in the Old Testament was still paying the full price, the full penalty for their own sins. I, I say it all the time at Remnant, I'm so thankful that I live on this side of the cross. Because on this side of the cross, I can mess up a thousand times in a day and there's a thousand and one chances. On this side of the cross, there's grace, there's so much mercy, and there's so much forgiveness. And the only thing that I have to do is fall to my knees, repent, and turn back to Jesus. In Old Testament times, you had to offer up your own sacrifice for your sins. I'm so thankful that I live on, the other, uh, on this side of the cross because we don't have to do that today. There's so much grace. All we have to do is connect with God, talk with God, and, and surrender our hearts to him. Surrender our sin to them. Why? Because Jesus already paid the price. Imagine today if we still had to perform sacrifices. Church would be messy. Because I don't know about you, I'm fully aware that we're all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior. So chapter 2 opens with the Lord calling for a formal accusation to be brought against Israel. The covenant relationship is likened to that of marriage. That the Lord is the husband and Israel is the wife. And, and God is talking and, and painting a picture of Israel being an estranged wife who is committing adultery and following after other passions and other desires and betraying him committing spiritual adultery against God. And so God is just proclaiming all these judgments. He's proclaiming all these judgments, all these warnings to the house of Israel. And it's, I don't know about you, if I heard something like that, I would be terrified. But again, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm not better than the people of Israel because I know that I'm human. If society was doing something, you know, I'm not going to say, well, gosh, you know, it's easy for us to say on, on, on this side of the cross, living in the 21st century with the word of God in our hands, man, I would never do that. I would never follow society. I would never go after my own passions or this or that. And it's very easy for us to say that today uh, in hindsight to scripture. And so God is proclaiming judgment, but he doesn't leave it at judgment. And I'm so thankful for that. How many of us are grateful today that God does not abandon us? He does not abandon us so much so that uh, he, our bodies, the Bible says, is a temple in which the Holy Spirit Dwells. I thank the Lord all the time for his presence being with me always, everywhere that I go. And so, having brought Israel to this place of desperation after this proclamation of destruction that was coming, um, in which uh, she would look to him again, the Lord said that he would take the next steps in restoring the relationship in Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. The Lord promised to be the one who initiated reconciliation to his wayward wife. It's one of these things that when, when you consider Jesus, when you consider God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross, uh, it, it wasn't this plan that God just formulated, you know, centuries after the fall of man. God, God's plan for Jesus was cemented even immediately after the fall. And this is something that, man, I didn't even plan on sharing, but uh, I just feel God leading me to share this because it's so important. 
Uh, after, after the fall in, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, God is giving the curses to the serpent, man, and woman, and everything that would happen. And there's a specific passage where God is cursing the woman, and he's talking to the woman and the serpent at the same time. And he's telling them that uh, there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be strife between your children, the children of the serpent and the children of Eve, the woman. And, and he says that uh, you, will strike his, uh, you, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And that's, 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 a, that's a prophecy right there that God was delivering in judgment. The Bible literally right there after the fall, God literally right there immediately following the fall is letting us know as his creation that there is going to be turmoil between us and the enemy of our souls. But there's a specific that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Literally a foreshadowing of Jesus whom his heel would be struck but he would crush the head of the serpent and defeat death. I don't know about you, but that's so encouraging today, amen? The plan for Jesus was cemented uh, literally, immediately, always. It's always been Jesus. Uh, so much so that uh, in, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a covenant that Abraham was making with God, right? Uh, and I, again, this is just, I feel God leading me to share this. Um, there was, there was a, a covenant that was happening between uh, God and uh, Abraham, you know, to, to uh, Abraham, Abraham, who would be a father of many nations, to basically make a covenant between God and humanity. And, and in this covenant, it was a very particular covenant because it was a covenant, it's messy, absolutely messy. Uh, in this covenant, animals would be lined up and cut in half. Messy. <laughs> absolutely messy and split apart leaving a bloody pathway uh, for an individual to walk through and the, and the individual who needed to walk through that would be a servant in a covenant made between a servant and a master and the significance of this covenant the significance of this ceremony that was done was to declare uh, as as the ser as the servant walks through uh, these animals that are literally cut in half that uh, if the servant would ever betray the covenant between the servant and the master, then may what happened to these animals essentially happen to the servant. And so the preparations are made, the pathway is made, and Abraham is getting ready to walk between so that the covenant could be made with God. And the Bible says that God put Abraham in a deep sleep. And while, while Abraham was in a deep sleep, God himself walked between the animals, essentially letting us know that if the covenant is broken, in any way, shape, or form, then may what happened to these animals happen to God. I don't know about you, but humanity is kind of bad at keeping covenants with God. Almost immediately broken, probably. I'm so thankful for God's plan. I'm so thankful for his story uh, in, in the story of Hosea. And so the Lord promised to initiate reconciliation between him and his wayward wife. And as we read on in chapter 3, we see that Hosea at some point was abandoned by his wife. And God gave Hosea specific instructions. Hosea chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. That seems out of place, doesn't it? Why cakes of raisin? Why is that in there? And, and I asked that question. I was like, why, why is this in the Bible? That's so odd. I mean, I don't like raisins, so I'm not going to participate in that. But uh, why is this in the Bible? And, you know, again, ask a question, dig. 
do the research. Uh, in that day and age, you know, again, Israel is being judged for falling away and worshiping other gods and doing their own things. And the enjoyment of certain desserts, the enjoyment of certain uh, delicacies was in specific association with worship of false idols, worship of Baal. And, and so God, God put that in there because Israel was more than likely participating in Baal worship. And God was calling their sin out specifically so that they would know who he is talking to. How many times, you know, have you heard a preacher, uh, you know, uh, feel, feel a message from the Lord that there's somebody, you know, this, that, that, and that. And it's like, gosh, he just called me out, but I'm not going to show people that he just called me out. So I'm going to be like, man, whoever that's for, God's got, God's got you. God sees you and all that stuff. And, and you're just too afraid to raise your hand. And God was like, no, I'm specifically going to call out the people of Israel through Hosea. And there's often times where we read the Bible where I feel like we disassociate the word of God emotionally. Uh, with with uh, who we're reading about. Hosea was very, very, very human. He was a very real human who experienced and had very real human emotions. Imagine what Hosea must have felt in that moment. Betrayed by his wife who was an adulterer and left her husband to go do just that. Yet God tells Hosea, go again. Go find your wife who is currently committing adultery and is loved by another man. What does the Bible say next? The Bible says, Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites. Israel in this passage does indeed mean Israel. God was, war uh, God was giving warning to Israel as God was talking to them. But Israel is also a prophetic illustration, church, of God's interaction with us. In verse 2, Hosea, in pursuit of his wife, eventually does find her and is able to just walk away with her and they live their lives happily ever after. That's not the verse 2 that I read right there. Verse 2 says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and 9 bushels of barley. I don't know about you, but... I think that's the most absurd idea or, or verse maybe in this entire account. Hosea had to pay for what was already his. Follow me, church. Hosea had to pay for what was already his. He had to pay a price for her. His wife, the mother of his three children, she was already his and he had to uh, pay a price for his bride. The illustration in this passage of scripture, the illustration in this account is that Hosea is, is, is a representation of God. We can all agree on that. Hosea is an illustration of God and his wife Gomer, whether you like it or not, is an illustration of you and me. If I could have the worship team come up. God is the creator of all things and being the creator of all things is the owner of all things. And yet the Bible tells us that 2,000 years ago, God paid a price to buy back what he already possessed. I don't know about you, but if we hear that and we, we're not just, we, we don't well up with thanksgiving and worship, man, we need to fall to our knees and turn back to Jesus. God paid a price for what was already is. Can you imagine the first interaction uh, or the first exchange of words uh, between Hosea and Gomer? 
She was probably filled with shame and was hanging her head down and embarrassed and hurt because she abandoned him and her three children. It's just like sin, church. It's exactly like sin. Where when you sin, man, you're hanging your head down. And you're ashamed and you're embarrassed and the enemy tries to overwhelm us saying, you know what, you keep messing up, stop trying. You can't get it right. You just messed up yesterday with the same thing you're messing up with right now, so stop turning to God. There's no point, just keep doing your own thing. That's a lie that the enemy would want us to believe. But God always tell us, tells us to turn back to him. To repent and turn back to him. The other men who wanted to buy Gomer only wanted to use her, but Hosea's intent for paying the price? To restore her. To heal her. To love her the way God instructed him to love her. Why? Because she was his. Verse 3. Hosea says, I said to her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be promiscuous or belong to any other man and I will act in the same way towards you. Hosea was telling her, your days of promiscuity are over. You are mine and I am yours. So for those, uh, th those of us who are his, again, the, the question of whose is important to ask before who, who is he? In this story, we're able to see that number one, God is righteous. God is a righteous God and he is a just God and he needs to be just and righteous in order for him to be God. That's why there, need to, that, that's why there needed to be a payment for the penalty of sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. God is a pursuing God, point number two. I have just quick, four quick takeaway points. God is a pursuing God. The same exact way that God instructed Hosea to go again, go find her. That's how God pursues us. I'm so thankful for the pursuing of God in my life. Uh, and if you know anything about my story, I could have very well lived a different life today. I could have very well not have been here today and doing something entirely different, selfishly for living for my own desires. But God intervened. Thank God for his interventions. Thank God that he pursues us so that we can come to this place where we're face to face with the gospel message and turn back to him. The gospel, when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is entirely confrontational, church. If you read a passage of scripture and it makes you feel uncomfortable, it was meant to be. It was meant to feel uncomfortable. Why? Because the gospel confronts our selfishness. The gospel confronts our sin. And if sin has been so ingrained in who you say you are, then God is confronting your identity and saying, no, your identity is in whose you are and you are mine. That's who you are. You are his. Our God is a loving God. He tells Hosea, Hosea, go find her and love a woman who's being loved by another man. Love a woman who is currently right now committing adultery. And yet the Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in this state of actively committing sin, God died, uh, Jesus died on the cross for us. I don't know about you, but that's a reason to worship right there, church. Amen? That is a reason to worship. And point number four, he's our redeemer, church. Amen? 
He is our redeemer, Gomer restored back to her rightful place as the wife of her husband, Hosea. Why? Because uh, God told Hosea to pursue her. God told Hosea to love her, and that's exactly what he did. I told you I was gonna be good at pointing today. He is our redeemer. So much so that even the names of, of uh, Hosea and Gomer's children were slightly changed. New associations. Jezreel, God sows, no longer sowing seeds of destruction, but rather of life, of a second chance of hope. Lo Ruhama is not loved, just Ruhama, loved. And Lo Ami, not my people, just Ami, my people. Pastor Dan noted last week that God in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. That God was issuing a call for his people to return to him. God was issuing a call for his people to return to him. Are you tired, church? Come back to him. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come back to him. Are you full of guilt and shame because of your sins? Come back to him. The message doesn't change. In, in, in Hosea uh, chapter 3, God is issuing a call, come back to me. In the gospel message of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, the, the, the call is still the same, come back to me. And today, in 2022, the call is still the same, come back to me. Why? Because he says, you are mine. You are mine. As the creator of all things, we are his. As the one in whom paid the price for the penalty of our sins, we are his. So the question that you need to ask yourself today, church, and I can't answer it for you. Pastor Doug, who's away on sabbatical, cannot answer it for you. Nobody can answer this for you except it's a conversation between you and God and you and God alone. Whose are you? And is there fruit to back up that claim? If not, today's the day. Amen? Today's the, day, today's the day to come back to him and change habits. Today's the day to open up your heart and allow God to do a work in your life that only God can do. He is the one who transforms hearts. We can't fix ourselves, and that's the whole gospel message right there. We cannot fix ourselves, so stop trying. Surrender yourself to him and let him be the one to shape you, mold you, and transform you into who he has created you to be. Because only he can do it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, whose do you belong to? Whose are you? If you're in this room today and you've never made the decision to surrender your heart to Jesus, today's the day. Maybe you're in this room today and, and, and again, we're Gomer in this story. You know that you've been walking away. You know that you've been following after your own passions and your own fleshly desires. Today's the day to come back to him. The issue is always gonna be the same. Come back to me while there's still time. So if you're in the right side of this room, uh, your left, my right, and this is you, whether for the first time you say, Jesus, I'm surrendering right now. I want you to look up and make eye contact with me so that I can agree with you. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna agree with you. If you're also here in this room and in this section right here, the call is to everyone, and you're saying, you know what, I've been, I've been estranged. 
I, I, the last time I picked up a Bible, the last time I worshiped was last Sunday when I came to church or, you know, I've just been neglecting my own personal devotion to the Lord and I want to start uh, allowing him to be the one to change me. If that's you, also look up because I'm going to agree with you as well. And so there, is there anybody in this section? I agree with you. Amen. I agree with you. You can put your heads down after. I agree with you. I agree with you. The front middle section. Is there anybody? I agree with you. Amen. I agree with you. I agree with you. The other middle section, your right, my left. Is there anybody? I agree with you. The far, uh, your far right, my far left. I agree with you. Is there anybody in the overflow? I have better eyes than Pastor Doug, so I can see eyes. <laughs> A little zinger right there. Is there anybody? I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful today because today is the day of salvation. And your word says that even when one sinner comes to repentance, all of heaven celebrates and rejoices. And so God, I can only imagine what is happening in heaven right now in the spiritual realm, oh God. The, the celebration that is thrown for sons and daughters who were estranged and now have come back to you, Lord God. I'm so thankful today, God, that you are righteous. I'm so thankful today, God, that you are loving. I'm so thankful that you are a pursuing God and pursue us. Why? Because you love us. God, why do you love us with a love that we can't even fully understand? Because we are yours. We are yours. So I pray, God, continue to have your way within us. Continue to shape us and mold us into the men and women that you have created us to be, God. I pray that we would quit getting in the way of the Holy Spirit trying to do something within us and that we would just say, God, I'm yours. You are not only my savior, but you are my Lord. So I surrender everything. God, have your way in the lives of your people. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying us, for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us so many chances. Lord, we love you. Have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand in this room, you are free to be dismissed. I'm going to call the, the prayer team to come up. But if you are in this room and maybe you made the decision for the first time, come up to somebody and pray with them. We want to celebrate with you. If you're in this room and you need prayer for anything, come up. We want to pray with you. If you want to sit, sit in your seat for a little while and worship, we're going to maintain an atmosphere of worship in this place. Come worship. But if, you're, if you feel free and, and uh, let go to, to go and pick up your kids and all that stuff, God bless you. Have a great week. But let's have conversations out in the foyer so we can just maintain an atmosphere of worship. God bless you, church, and we'll see you next week.